One announcement that I failed to make this morning, and I'm grateful that Ed reminded us as he was praying. I received a text from Pastor Joel this morning. Forecast suggests that the rain will stop this morning. If not, we will postpone the baptism. Website and email connection will announce the cancellation. If it continues to rain, although it's supposed to stop. But if it does continue to rain, please keep your eyes on uh, the website or the email connection that will update you whether or not it's canceled. So I apologize for missing that announcement this morning. Perhaps the most important one I had to announce. Um, as we prepare to open up God's word, would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we are, again, grateful to be in the position that we are this morning, that we can uh, be present in your word. Father, we are, again, beyond blessed. Uh, you have walked alongside of us in so many ways. Uh, you provided for us. You meet our needs. Father, we are grateful and we are thankful. We ask that you would continue to be with us this morning as we continue in our worship to you. Father, I ask that you would be with me as I open up your word. Uh, would you guard my tongue, Father? Would you allow me to speak your truth? Father, would you allow your word to penetrate hearts this morning? Father, you are good and we love you. And we know that it's only possible because of your son and his life and his death and his resurrection that we can approach your throne. It's in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, we pray these things. Amen. I'm not sure about you, but, but my family often speaks about the sermons that we hear each week, whether it's on the way home or whether it's, whether it's when we're home sitting around. We, we talk about different aspects of the sermon, and depending on which family member I'm speaking to, will dictate what part of the sermon we address. And, and one of the things Molly, our oldest daughter, and I talk about are the illustrations that are used. Molly pointed out to me quite some time ago that, that whether Pastor Joel, whether Steve, or whether myself preach, we kind of have our go-to illustration topics. And, and I'm sure that, that you are all too familiar with them as well. Pastor Joel will often use a book quote um, or he often will, will speak of his, his children or his family. Steve likes his comic book heroes. And, and I find that I lean towards athletics. Now, this is not to say that, that we're not willing to use other types of illustrations. I, I have read a book or two. But I know for myself, as I, as I read the text, as I prepare the message in my head, the illustrations that I find myself thinking are often sports-related. The title for this morning's message is A Faith That Endures. How faith allows us to overcome with the promise of something better. And as I began to think about enduring and perseverance, I found myself drawn to the realm of athletics. And this morning I would like to share a, a short video, uh, just a highlight from the 1992 Summer Olympics that took place in Barcelona, Spain. In this particular race, a runner by the name of Derek Redmond is the favorite to win gold. I remember watching this race. I remember this moment. And it's not because of his record-breaking time or his gold medal performance. It was because of his endurance and his perseverance. 
given the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. He was in great shape, you know, he, he was, had a chance, possibility of maybe getting a medal there. Redmond to aim at, and so too in lane number three is Steve Lewis, but Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too is Ismail of Qatar. Down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Part of Nigeria has gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. Running down the back straight, I heard a funny clap or a pop. And I honestly, for a split second, thought I'd been shot. Uh, and then obviously I realised I've, I've pulled a hamstring. And then when the pain sort of died down, I remembered where I was and what I was doing. And I remember thinking, quick, you're in the Olympic semi-finals, you prat, get up and start running. And I got to the 200 metre mark after hobbling 50 metres. And looked across and all the guys had finished. And it pretty much hit me that, you know, it ain't going to happen, it's all over. I would have laid there. You know, to be honest, there's no way I would have got out. Of course, hamstring, when you've got a hamstring, you know you've got a hamstring. He just wants to finish. His dad's trying to run under the track to stop him. He's going to tell him, Derek, don't. The old man went to put his arms around me, and I was just about to try and push him off because I thought it was something else. I didn't see if he sort of jogged from behind. And uh, he said, look, you don't need to do this. You can stop now. You haven't got nothing to prove. And I said, oh, I have. You know, get me back into lane five. I want to finish. Now in the greatest arena in sport, he's getting the cheer of the games. I would never have wanted to be in Derek Shoe at that time. You know, it was a sad moment. It was a, you know, a great moment. You know, in the sport, to be honest. It's a figure, a picture that just stays in your mind forever because you don't want to see any athlete having to go through that. You just knew how destroyed he was and just how much that race meant to him. Before we look this morning into Hebrews chapter 11, particularly at verses 32 and 40, I want to briefly look back again at the end of chapter 10. And this morning I want to focus particularly on why the author was writing about faith in this manner. So we're going to look at chapter 10 of Hebrews, verses 32 to 39. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you had endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered alongside with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For, in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. 
and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Another passage that tells us a little bit more about what the original reader is is found in chapter 6. So if you just turn your Bible, it pages over just a little bit to the left, to chapter 6, and I want to read verse 9 through 12. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit inherit what has been promised. I want you to notice what the author of Hebrews is emphasizing in these passages. He writes reminding them how in the earlier days they suffered along with those that were in prison. They showed love and compassion to each other. They did the things, they did those things in the face of difficulty, in the face of opposition, in rejection, and with much persecution. The other thing I I want to highlight is that both, both of those sections of the text, the underlying theme of the author's words are encouragement. It is a declaration of encouragement. Do not grow weary. Do not give up. But through faith in God and His promises, you can and need to persevere. And to persevere in spite of opposition. So for these Christians who had come out of Judaism, these Hebrew believers, for these disciples who were probably being persecuted by fellow Jews and religious leaders, for these saints who were probably being beaten down with warning after warning of their dangerous condition apart from the law, apart from the temple sacrifices, apart from the tradition of the Jewish elders, for these first readers the writer offers powerful words containing both instruction and encouragement. It is important to keep in mind as we dig back into and as we finish chapter 11 this morning, we do not belong to those who shrink back, but to those who have faith and are saved. We should imitate many of the examples that we read in chapter 11. Realize that the author is not spending time attempting to teach us some kind of new faith. The faith that he speaks of, the faith that we speak of, is not something new. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with examples of powerful, obedient, and persevering faith. Now, when you first read over chapter 11, and you come to the end, when you come to the verses in in 32 to 40, you may feel like you're, you're coming across the bench players. Not quite good enough to start the game. Remember the, the list from last week? Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Joshua. 
But when you're talking about men like Barak and Samson and Jephthah, you feel like you're dealing with the B team. They're good players. They deserve to be on the team, but, but they'll never be the ones that put up the last shot to win the game. But that's not what we find here. They may be at the end of the list, but they're no B team. It, it, it's not the practice squad that we're reading about. Verses 32 to 40 are the pinnacle, the mountaintop of this incredible chapter. You can read how the momentum quickens in these verses. If I were someone who raises his voice, this would be a section to bring that out. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to read verses 32 all the way down to 40. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administrated justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that the only together with us, they would be made perfect. Scripture is beautiful and profitable. But this section is just Incredible. Even the beginning of this section, and what more can I say? I don't have the time. I mean, can you see what the author is saying? He's not only saying, do I really have to continue here? Isn't this pretty obvious to you by now? That, that faith is what it's always been about? But he's not only saying that. He's also saying... There would not be enough time for me to give you every example of faith from the men and women like this. Let's go back to verses 32, to the beginning of verse 35. The writer moves chronologically into a period of the judges. There the writer lists the big four judges from the book of Judges. These are the ones whom whom we can read the most about. And then he moves forward to history, to David and Samuel, and then to the prophets. And these prophets would include guys like Elijah and Elisha. But also the writing prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And let's not forget about the minor prophets. You don't have to read much into this list of examples to see that the names given are not necessarily examples of consistent 
steady faith. This list of men had some major character flaws. Some of them greater than others. But nonetheless, they're all examples they're all examples of the power of faith. That is why the author of Hebrew goes, goes on to pro- provide us with example after example of how faith is, is not just worked in them, but how powerfully it works through them. They conquered kingdoms, administrated justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, Weakness made strong, powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. Women receiving back from the dead. Keep in mind the very first verse of chapter 11. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. None of these things that we read in verses 32 to 35 happen because of human strength or human wisdom. It is a faith that is fueled by the power of God, a faith that we have been called to imitate. And a faith that is the only way any of this could take place. This is a reminder that we should take with us. It is not our power. It is by faith Not a faith out of sight, but a faith of things unseen. A faith in a powerful God that allows us to conquer the things He has called us to do. Faith is conquering with the assurance that that the will of God will achieve victory. Faith is sleeping with hungry lions with the knowledge of, of God's unseen hands is around their mouths. Faith is stepping into the furnace with the assurance that God will quench the flames. Faith is admitting that He is the one that provides your strength and the feeling of His power that courses through your body. But if we look at how this list continues in the second half of verse 35 down through verse 38, some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Here we find more examples of the power of faith. But the power that's on display here is specifically the power to endure. The power to not give up. This is a faith that is fueled by perseverance. Just think about some of the righteous sufferers of the Old Testament. Joseph, David, Elijah, Jeremiah. These were men who were at some point destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Some were even killed for their faithful commitment to God's will. In 2 Chronicles chapter 24, a prophet named Zechariah was stoned to death in the temple courtyard by the order of King Joash. Jewish tradition outside the Bible talked about Jeremiah being stoned to death. 
as well as the prophet Isaiah being sawed in two. The book of Kings tells how the prophets that were the wicked king Jezebel murdered by the sword. I mean, let's be brutally honest. When was the last time you feared for your physical safety because you claimed Jesus Christ as Lord? Or maybe I can rephrase the question. Have you ever feared for your physical safety because you have claimed Jesus Christ as Lord? I I did not have to duck and hide on my way to church this morning. The, The closest I have ever come to fearing my physical safety was in Nigeria. One of her drivers was taken out of the van by a a soldier carrying an automatic weapon and put to his knees. He was eventually told to get up and get back in the van and we were on our way. There was no one inspecting the vehicles coming into the parking lot this morning for bombs. I get it. We live in the United States. There are certain freedoms that we have, rights that we have. Worrying about our physical safety going to church is probably not going to be one of our concerns. But what about being mistreated because you call Jesus Christ your Lord? Still nothing? So how does John chapter 15 verses 18 to 19 fit into your life? If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. That is why the world hates you. We're reading about men who were stoned, men who were tortured, men who were sawed into two. This is not the persecution that we need to endure. But you do need to ask yourself the question, if you're claiming to be a Christian and my life shows no signs of the smallest discomfort, then maybe you need to look hard and deep at whether or not you belong to the world or you belong to the King of Kings. If you belong to the world, then you should enjoy the pleasures that you feel, the success that you have Because it's temporary. Because your eternity will be filled with pain and discomfort. Contrary to what is popular to teach, contrary to what is popular to preach and to read, faith is not always about the power to prosper and succeed. Oftentimes, faith is about the power to persevere. To persevere in the midst of rejection. To persevere in the midst of ridicule. The power to endure in times of defeat. Sometimes faith brings us the power to simply hang on for one more day. To simply face the right direction. But look with me at the final two verses of this chapter. Verses 39 and 40. These were commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We can read here that the the author is coming full circle with the reason that he provided all this Old Testament review lesson. I mean, do you remember what we said earlier about the original readers to this letter from chapter 6 and 10? 
We saw how that they had demonstrated both the power to do God's will and the perseverance to stand firm in spite of persecution and suffering. Here at the end of chapter 11, the author of Hebrews encourages them. He encourages them with power and perseverance. Hasn't this list of people and accomplishments in verses 32 to 38, hasn't it persuasively pointed out the, the need for power and perseverance of faith? How can the readers go back to the way it used to be? How can they go back to their man-made traditions when in fact the whole Testament is declaring almost every page that faith, faith is what commends us to God. And we are no different. A true faith not only produces the power to do God's will, but it also produces perseverance to stand firm in spite of persecution and suffering. Stand firm in spite of persecution and suffering. Yet we read in verses 39 and 40 that none of them received what had been promised. In terms of the better. In in terms of the complete. In terms of what they were looking forward to. They didn't have a better hope. They didn't have the better covenant. They didn't have the better promises made possible by a better sacrifice. And yet they were marked by power and perseverance and endurance. But as the author makes clear in verse 40, they did not receive these things because the time had not yet been fulfilled. But, and here's the statement, the time is now at hand. The author is telling us, please understand this, that you are living in the better. You have experienced the beginning of the better. So how much more? How much more should you embrace the power to persevere with your faith and how that can be lived out in your life compared to those in the Old Testament? Brothers and sisters, this morning, you may not be feeling the pressure to blend back into Judaism, much like the readers of Hebrews, but all of us, all of us here today are being pressured to blend back into life. Uh, based on our own human merits, focusing on our own abilities with questions like, have I been good enough? We feel this pressure to blend back into a life of worldly wisdom. It doesn't take long and we believe statements like, I, I can't love others until I really love myself first. Or, I just need to listen to my heart. Or perhaps it's, the kids will be better off if we're no longer together. All of us, every single day, are being pressured to buy into this worldly passions. Just one more purchase. Just one more look. Just one more time. It's not hurting anybody else. In just a little while, I'll be standing at the back door, smiling and shaking hands. What if I was able to provide you with a word of encouragement as you passed through the line? As we shook hands and smiled, what if I was able to give you just the words you needed to hear this morning? What would those words be for you? 
what those words would be reveal about who you are and where you are today. There's not one person here this morning that has everything in control. There's not one person here this morning that has it all figured out. In fact, I am sure very few of us, if any, have been honest when we were greeted this morning. When someone asked how you were this morning, did you respond with good before you even had time to reflect on the question? I have absolutely no doubt that there are many people here this morning that are just trying to hang on. I mean, do you feel that way this morning? Are you worn out because of the struggles that you have with your spouse? Are you worn out because of the struggles with your finances? Are you worn out because of the struggles with lust or worry or guilt or grief or expectations or failures? Are you worn out because you feel like you've just fallen into the spiritual rut and there seems to be no way out? And every attempt that you've made has simply been met with resistance. Or who are we kidding? Perhaps no resistance at all. I mean, that, that's what we like to do, right? We like to say that we're facing resistance from the world, that, that we're in this battle, that we're trying to defeat these sins in our lives, and yet they're the ones that we're holding the closest. Those are the ones that we really have no desire to turn over to God. But if you find yourself sitting here this morning and you, you feel like you're about to give up, that fighting for your marriage is no longer worth the pain, that surrendering to lust is easier than being honest about your addiction, that pretending to be a Christian is better than finally admitting that you've not yet crossed the line of faith. If you find yourself in these battles, you are not alone. There are brothers and sisters sitting around you this morning in the midst of those same battles. But until we were honest with ourselves and honest with each other, we do not see the need. For all those that are struggling in the grip of sin, with the weight of doubt, there is something more powerful than sin and doubt. I want us to look at at two more verses yet this morning. If you still have your Bible, if you would open it up to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is hope. I mean, do you desperately need both the power to do God's will and perseverance to stand firm in spite of sinful resistance? If you're, if you're like me, 
And you often feel the grip of sin and the weight of doubt. There is a key. The key is called faith. And it opens a vault called the promises of God. And that vault contains a priceless jewel who is Jesus Christ. He is yours if you will receive Him. This day. Every day. Theologian John Calvin said this about true faith and Jesus. It was the Apostle's intention to explain what is the nature of true faith and in it what it consists. That is, when the Son of God is known, to the Son of God alone, faith ought to look on Him. It relies. In Him it rests and terminates. If it proceeds farther, it will disappear and will no longer be faith, but a delusion. Let us remember that true faith confines its view so entirely to Christ that it neither knows nor desires to know anything else. In all of our struggles, at all of those times when we feel that that we're just barely hanging on, we are called to set our eyes on the eyes of our faith on that priceless jewel, on Jesus Christ, the one worthy to be called Lord. It was the power and perseverance of Christ that made Him the founder and perfecter of faith. At the cross of Jesus Christ, on the lonely hill, on the bloody tree, we see the most glorious, the most instructive, the most perfect example of the power to do God's will and of perseverance to stand firm in spite of resistance. That's why the Hebrew writer goes on in verse 3 of chapter 12 to say, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In the sport of cycling, there are different types of races. There is the criterium where the riders set out on a set course and repeat it over and over until the desired distance is achieved. There's also a road race where the riders set out on a single course until the desired distance is reached. And then there's the time trial where the riders are released at set intervals and ride individually over a set road course. All of these races have have different difficult aspects to them. But the time trial is one that you face alone. When I was 16, I participated in in a time trial. And the time trial consisted of about 15 miles down along the River Road Highview or Highville area. If you're familiar with this area that's down towards Conestoga, then you know that this is not a flat course. Now, throughout my cycling career, I have ridden in many time trials. But this particular time trial stands out. Riders are are released in one-minute intervals. And off you go, pushing yourself battling the course alone. 
There is no one to set your pace. There is no one to draft. No one to share the burning pain that you feel in your legs. The only companion you have is the clicking of your crank going around and around and around and your steady breathing. We approach our lives a lot like a time trial. Although there are many other riders on the course, we find ourselves riding alone, dealing with the pain of sin, the aches of discouragement, or the hunger of lust alone. But let me share with you more about this race, that after so many years it is still fresh in my mind. I have a photograph. This is me at 16. The gentleman in the background, um, that's my dad. That was, uh, that was after the race. We had gotten home. I have no idea why my mother took the picture. Uh, but to this day, I am, I am grateful that I have this one. My dad was not content to just stay at the start-finish line. No. My dad... would drive up the road. He would get out of the car. And he would cheer me on as I rode by. And once I passed him, he would get back in the car, drive up the road, and cheer me once more. He did this over and over until I found myself sprinting to the finish line. I won my age group that day by a huge margin. My time was even better than most of the adults that I was riding against. See, I was not alone. I had somebody that I could focus on. I had someone cheering for me. I had someone to help me with my pace. I had someone so vested in me that he didn't just watch me ride off on my journey. Instead, he became part of my journey. I have quite a few trophies and awards packed up in boxes at our house. This ribbon, this faded, slightly wrinkled ribbon is by far my favorite. Your faith comes from God, the creator of all things. Through the power of Jesus Christ, we have the strength to be in the race. It is in Christ that we see the perfection of faith. 
the power to be obedient. But you will find yourself tired and worn and broken and discouraged and hurt and lost. And this is where the body of Christ, you and me, we need to be willing to ride that race. Holding tightly to the faith that we have, the faith that we have in the things unseen, a faith that imitates those we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. But we need others. We need mentors, accountability. We need encouragers to all share in our journey, to become part of our journey. When you do this, when you allow others to become part of your journey, by sharing your struggles, your questions, your pain, you will find that it does become easier. At the beginning of this message, we looked at a video of Derek Redmond and his endurance and perseverance. It took amazing drive and determination to get up off the track and to try to finish the race. But take note, he did not finish that race alone. He finished the race in the arms of his father. By faith, it is not enough to know the facts. It is not enough to just show up. It is not enough just to put your time in every Sunday morning. It is only by faith. Faith begins at the beginning with the power to see the unseen, to marvel at the creation that was spoken into being. Faith moves us into action, to worship well, to live lives of substance, to be willing to do what is asked. And faith allows us to endure, to persevere, to fight on, because the power that we receive comes from the risen Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are not alone. There are brothers and sisters around you today in that same race, facing those same struggles. We are all striving to endure, to persevere. We are not alone. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, Lord, we are thankful. Thankful that you have given us the gift of faith. Father, that you have allowed us to use our faith to see things that are unseen. That we can marvel at your creation, knowing that you spoke things into existence. Faith, we, Father, we are thankful that your Son was the perfecter of faith. We can see his obedience to you on the cross. We can see his ability to persevere against the resistance that he faced. Father, we give thanks this morning that we are not alone, that you have surrounded us, that you have created us for community, that we are surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ that are going through the same struggles and the same battles. It just takes us being honest and open with each other for us to stand and lift each other up, to help each other through, to encourage, to cheer each other on. Father, will you convict us of that this morning, that we would look to embrace one another, that we would look to speak into one another this morning. Father, you have called us together for a reason, to be a family for a reason, 
to be Grace Baptist Church of Millersville for a reason. Allow us to live that out, to do it well. Father, again, we are grateful for your word. That it is just as important to us today as it was when the author was writing it. Father, again, we are thankful and we love you. Oh, do we love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.